It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Still with me from the Adam Smith Institute, Matthew Lesh, and comedian Steve Allen. Let's turn our attention now well, back once again uh, to coronavirus. And let's talk to the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, who joins us. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Well, yesterday we had the COBRA meeting chaired by the Prime Minister, which you've agreed to an action plan on how to uh, tackle uh, coronavirus. Uh, it seems to include having volunteers uh, helping to man the NHS. It's a little bit of a worry, isn't it? Uh, no, um, we already have many, many volunteers in the NHS. In fact, the, the second biggest group of people working in the NHS after nurses are volunteers, and that's great um, for normal times. But of course, in one of the challenges, if this if this uh, coronavirus goes widespread, becomes pandemic, one of the challenges will be having enough people um, to uh, to look after people who are sick. And um, the, uh, therefore, using um, volunteers, encouraging volunteers who currently play such an important role, um, doing the right things, of course, doing things that, uh, you know, not, you can't ask volunteers to do things that you need clinicians to do, um, but helping support people in the NHS, that'll be one, one it's just one strand. You pick yes. one, strand, I, I, one yes. strand, I think it's important, but it is one strand of a broad action plan for how we contain the virus now, whilst the number of cases is relatively small and we're trying to stop it becoming widespread, but then also the sorts of things we will have to do um, and have to consider if it becomes uh, widespread. But you say, you've said if a couple of times there. I mean, you know, we are yeah. looking at 39 confirmed cases here in the UK, France 191 and three deaths. Italy, uh, almost 1,700, a 50% yeah. rise over the weekend and 34 deaths. Uh, given the close links with uh, both those countries, it, it does seem to be more likely to be a matter of when, not if. Should we perhaps have taken more precautions earlier? There's always a trade-off when you do this and there's an economic hit uh, compared with the, uh, the risk to the, to the health of the nation as well. But should we perhaps have been instituting uh, more controls earlier on people who may have been uh, to Wuhan, to other affected areas, long before we actually did? Well, we have been putting in controls that are guided by what, are, what is scientifically effective. There's, what I don't want to do is put in place things that 
that that don't have any clinical impact, any impact on slowing the spread of the virus, but are very disruptive. Um, and, but what I do want to do is do things that help slow the spread of the virus, preferably stop the spread of the virus. Um, and um, the lower impact they are, uh, the better in terms of the impact on the rest of your life. So, for instance, washing your hands has no uh, disruption to the rest of your life, um, uh, but it has a very high impact in terms of slowing the spread of the virus. We talked on this program a couple of weeks ago about whether to stop all the flights from China when it was very much a China-based thing. Well, the only country in Europe that stopped the flights was Italy. And the, the, in advance, the clinicians, the epidemiologists just said to me, um, won't work because this virus will find other ways to transmit um, and uh, I think the, the, the evidence of what the Italians did and then what happened in Italy uh, proves that they were right. So okay. we'll be guided by the science. I'm not afraid to take some quite serious action. And the reason we're setting out this plan today, both for the contain phase and then to delay and to do the research we need and to mitigate, it's a four-part plan, um, the reason we're setting it out, including some of those actions that we might have to take, is so that the public is aware of what could be coming and isn't surprised if we have to do some okay. of the more difficult things that you would just wouldn't normally do as a government. And, and we are looking at some extra sort of emergency powers involving, I mean, going much further than uh, the NHS, which you're responsible, uh, the policing uh, of, of quarantining, closing schools, offices. I mean, could we see a situation where public transport will be closed down, as we've seen in Wuhan? Well, we are looking at um, taking some extra powers. Uh, mostly the powers are about enabling things to happen. Um, and apologies, we've got the, the, the line seems but, to be a little uh, bit... So apologies, sorry. Mr Hancock, the, the line has been a bit fuzzy there. Mostly it's about enabling uh, public uh, services to continue functioning in unusual circumstances. So, for instance, the laws about, about the ratio between children and um, and and, and uh, teachers and adults in mm. childcare settings exactly, and uh, relaxing those in case there is a shortage of teachers because if there's a lot of people who are ill. Um, likewise, um, giving extra powers to border officers. Currently, the powers that we to uh, allow the police to enforce um, self isolation, to enforce isolation and quarantine. Uh, they don't apply to border officers. I think it's reasonable that border officers uh, who are policing our border are able to uh, to have those powers too. So it's it's more about enabling us to, you know, just to to have as much normal life carry on as possible. Yeah. In, in, but realistically, we are going to be looking at sort of like following the suit from France and other countries where major events involving thousands of people are, are not going to be able to go ahead. Football matches, rugby matches, and like played behind um, closed doors and empty stadiums? Well, I don't rule that out. Um, I don't rule it out. But we're also clear that we do not recommend that now. And uh, we're some weeks off the time when okay. that might be required, according to the, the, the science. Because, I, look, I want to minimise the disruption, the, the economic hit. 
uh, the social disruption, but I, but the top task is to keep people safe. Well, again, that, there, there is a trade-off there. That's the key issue, isn't there? And that's a trade-off also lots of individuals are having to make. And I, I read this, read yeah. this with you last week, and I think it's more of a concern for a lot of people now who are coming into contact with people who may have uh, got coronavirus. They're perfectly well themselves, don't feel ill at all, <clears throat> uh, but they're being told to self-isolate. And that's all very well to say. If you've got someone who'll pay your sick pay, you can carry on, a yeah. uh, good employer. But <clears throat> a lot of people are freelance, a lot of people on low incomes, jobs they have to turn up to, they can't work from home. Are we not in a situation where we are <clears throat> making it very difficult for people to self-isolate who are in um, very um, uh, insecure work and low-paid work? Should we not make sure that all of those people are entitled to sick pay? Well, uh, you, did, you did raise this with me uh, last week. And um, you know, it's very clear, the rules are very clear, which is that if you're self-isolating for medical reasons then that counts as being sick for the purposes of the sick pay regime. Now, we take all of this, we keep all of this um, under review, and it's something that I'm talking to the... Uh, no, no, but, no, but someone who is freelance, someone who's on a zero-hours contract, somebody who, who, who is a, a contractor, they're not entitled to sick pay right now, even if they are very sick. They're certainly not entitled to if they're self-isolating without being sick. Um, there are millions of people in this country who may be told, for the good of the society, good of the community, of their fellow workers to self-isolate, who won't be able to pay their rent. That's not fair, is it? Well, I, I understand that. And as I say, we're keeping the system um, under review and it's something that I'm talking to the to the Welfare Secretary about. Um, but the, we have got a robust system of sick pay in this country and of making sure that everybody can always get uh, support if they're in um, very um, difficult circumstances. Okay. Um, and um, and it, But, of course, it's an important consideration because if people are ill then we do want them to self-isolate and not to impact others. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, is uh, facing a lot of pressure at the moment, an extraordinary amount of pressure on her. Uh, the government has had to say that there will be a, uh, a formal inquiry now, as an independent inquiry, again, within the civil service. So how independent is it if it's her, her battles are with uh, senior civil servants? Um, but a, a former aide to the uh, Pretty Patel, who, when she was employment minister in the Department of Work and Pensions, uh, has now, uh, documents have emerged, accused her of bullying and harassing her, uh, and then she took an overdose at her desk. She later received a £25,000 payout from the government. Let's talk about this extra pressure on Pretty Patel, whether she'll survive in government with Colonel Bob Stewart. He's Conservative MP for Beckenham and joins us now. Good morning to you, Bob. Hello, Julie. Um, do you think uh, Pretty Patel is going to survive uh, these criticisms and these exposés? Well, to be honest, I don't know. But I, I think she certainly will. I mean, one of the problems is that, uh, you know, ministers decide what happens and... You know, civil servants are meant to carry out those wishes. Uh, it may not suit the civil service sometimes, but they've got to because, um, you know, Pretty Patel is the elected representative of the people. Well, I mean, this is it, isn't it? I think often people forget the crucial word in the job title of the man who resigned, civil servant. He's a servant. It's due to serve uh, the elected officials. If it is the case that Pretty Patel is shouting at staff, harassing staff, being uh, rather intolerant and, and being uh, uh, perhaps uh, what some people regard as bullying, um, would that mean that she would have to depart office? Because I've certainly heard an awful lot of things said about male uh, ministers over the years along those lines. We oh, haven't yeah. had the same onslaught of attacks. Yeah, I mean, the, people can be horrific. I mean, we've all worked for people that are 
bullies in a way. Um, but I, I, I'm not saying in any way that pretty is. She's always been utterly charming and decent with me. So I, I don't know the truth of this, but I would suspect that normally the civil service deal with this matter. They don't make it public and certainly um, permanent secretaries don't resign over the matter. I mean, I would have thought uh, that the civil service could easily cope with this sort of thing if indeed it, it happens. Well, the interesting thing is Sir Philip Rutnam, the uh, Permanent Secretary of the Home Office, who resigned at the weekend in rather dramatic uh, t- terms, uh, making his it formal statement. It was rather dramatic, wasn't it? So, I, I love the idea of summoning the, the, the... civil service works. No, summoning the BBC to your home so you can, you can make your announcement, uh, yes, in, 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 yeah. in the drizzle. Um, but it, what's interesting, he, he was talked about how, you know, it was bullying and he thought a vicious personal campaign against him. It's quite clear that both sides think the other side has been briefing against them and don't trust each other. But what's interesting is he made it very clear that actually he had attempted to reconcile with and she refused to have meetings with him. Basically, didn't trust him, didn't want to have meetings with him. He's basically said that that is therefore, because he can't do his job because of that, he is therefore, he's effectively, you know, it's constructive dismissal. And yet, would she not be reasonable to say she believes she's working with someone who has been uh, putting out uh, nasty slurs against her in the media? Why why should she have to work with him? I mean, you could argue both ways on that front. You, you, You... Could indeed, Julia. I mean, the fact of the matter is, uh, we don't really know. But the the truth is that the minister decides and the civil servant carries out the instructions, and normally discreetly. I find it absolutely amazing that a you know permanent secretary resigned so publicly. Um, normally, if there's a disagreement, they're shifted sideways or they they resign with a pretty good package. But this fellow's you know, made it very, very public. So I'm wondering why. But the one thing that is clear is that um, the there will be an investigation um, on, on the matter, and it will be done by the permanent secretary of the cabinet office, who's the top civil servant. Now, he is the normal. If I was the permanent secretary, I understand, I've never been in the civil service, that you go to the cabinet secretary if you've got a problem, and he somehow or other, has a quiet word in, in various ears, and the matter's resolved that way. I'm quite surprised that that hasn't Well, happened. I'm quite, yes, but the, for instance, that someone with these 30 years of experience uh, like Sir uh, uh, wouldn't have just been moved to another department. Um, again, again, let's be honest, everyone's saying you've got this wonderful track record. Um, transport, in transport and in uh, home office, I don't think either of those departments have got particularly good track records if he's the man who's been in charge of them. Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, right now, let's turn our attention to coronavirus. Not uh, necessarily uh, how to avoid getting it and what the NHS is doing uh, about uh, people catching, but um, what you can do in the situation where you are told to self-isolate, whether or not you may or have the virus or not. Well, let's talk to GMB organiser Lola McAvoy, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Lola. Morning. Um, we've had a conversation with the uh, Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, today. And again, I brought, raised it with him last week. And everyone keeps me up telling me categorically that uh, you're entitled to statutory sick pay if you are uh, having to self-isolate, whether you're ill or not, because you still count as sick. But this does ignore the fact that there are millions of people in this country who aren't entitled to any statutory sick pay at all because they're not technically employed. They're either freelance, they're uh, self-employed, uh, or, or they're on zero-hours contracts and the like. Um, what do we do about those people? Well, I mean, we're talking about self-employed people here. You call them self-employed. We call them precarious gig economy workers. It is an absolute joke for the health secretary not to be addressing this pressing issue about what happens if those people are left to self-isolate. Additionally, and the main point that we're trying to put across is that statutory sick pay is pittance. It is no pay for the first three days and then £94.25 a week after that. So if you are a low-paid worker, you cannot pay the rent on that amount. So the fact that we've got our health secretary going round saying to everybody, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, you'll get £94 a week after three days with no pay is not reassuring at all for our members. And this is it, isn't it? Everyone keeps saying, no, don't worry, you're entitled to it. Again, it's like statutory maternity pay. It doesn't really <laughs> touch the size of the cost. And again, we're not talking about people being a bit out of pocket. We're talking about the ability to say, pay the rent, pay the mortgage, pay the electricity bill, put food on the table for their kids. And some five million workers could be left without any uh, seek pay at all. And, and this is the thing, lots of people are responding. We spoke to an employment lawyer earlier. He said, look, you take the risk. You take the risk. If you want to be, if you want to be self-employed, that's part of the risk. You don't get sick pay. Um, but we're not talking about people getting sick. We're talking about people who are perfectly healthy being told for the good of other people, you should take time off so you don't risk spreading the disease if you may have come into contact with someone. And we're asking people to do, you know, a good thing, and, and they should do that good thing. But why then should we expect those people to take a massive financial hit in return for it? Shouldn't we say, obviously, we'll, can, you know, we'll make sure you're paid and your job is secure while you do that? Absolutely. So what we're calling for Matt Hancock to do is to say that if you're told to self-isolate, normally it's because you've come into contact with someone with coronavirus. So if you're told to self-isolate, you must be paid from day one full pay. And the government has the mechanisms in place to do that. They could easily say that anybody who is told to self-isolate because they've come into contact with a coronavirus patient will be given full pay for those two weeks. And I think it is an insult to the low-paid workers that we're talking about to expect them to make that choice and take the risk on their health yeah. 
or on protecting the nation or getting paid. I mean, it feels completely unfair and like he's totally missing the point or deliberately trying to avoid the point. Well, well again, again, it's, 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 how does it work again with people who are completely freelance, doing lots of different jobs, uh, who, 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 who have to be out and about? I mean, I've had a comedian in the studio uh, 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 today. Um, you know, he, he, he doesn't get paid unless he turns up and does a gig, but he can't, you can't insist that a nightclub, uh, a club pays him for a gig he hasn't done. How do we go about doing this? Because this is going to be something that is a, a community effort, isn't it? This is something that Wizard where we have to come together and for the good, you know, good of the herd, you know, for the better <laughs> health expression. But that's it, it's, it's herd immunity and the like. We need to all just behave a little bit better. No, I totally agree. And I think there are different types of freelancers and there are different types of self-employed. And we think that if you are self-employed and you are told to self-isolate for the good of, you know, like you say, for the good of the community, it's because you've either been travelling in a country that is high risk or you're working in a job that's high risk and you might have come into contact with someone who's got coronavirus. If that is the case, you need to be able to get a letter from 111, NHS 111, or from um, whatever mechanism is in place from your employer who yeah. told you that you can no longer come into work. And the government then needs to put the equivalent of your two weeks self-isolation, full pay, um, in, in place for you to be able to be paid. Because we cannot be asking Uber drivers to stop working yeah. or stay at home and just go without work, yeah. go without pay for two weeks. It's a joke. And the statutory sick pay point is really important as well. Because if you're if you are on statutory sick pay, as I said before, it's no pay for three days, then ninety four pounds twenty five a week. So actually what we need to be saying is if you're on a contract or you're paid the amount where you would be likely to earn statutory sick pay. Talk radio breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and the Times. Know your times. Let's turn our attention now, well, not to America, but what happens uh, uh, in the EU. Of course, we are now out of the EU. However, uh, we are still in the transition period uh, and there has been some concern over immigration levels from the EU, uh, shortages of uh, people particularly uh, to do the lower skilled work. But could staff shortages in the wake of Brexit be plugged by not just importing more people from overseas or uh, who knows, mad idea, training up people here, but by using more automation and more robots? Well, that's according to a brand new new report. Uh, the Trend Index 2020, published by Automatica. Uh, let's talk to Professor Noel Sharkey. He's Emeritus Professor of Artificial Intelligence and Robots about this. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, it's, it's fascinating, actually, how much automation has taken over an awful lot of the jobs that people used to do. And we often talk about how automation is going to uh, take away uh, jobs from people. But in this case, we're talking about uh, there aren't people available to do some of these jobs. Yes, it's a nice idea, and the automation has been proceeding for, for centuries, really. Um, we see it in the supermarkets now, for instance, with automated tellers. But I don't know about your experience, but every time I use them, I always have to call a member of staff because something goes wrong. I mean, it's not perfect. And this report that's come out is really, it's a survey of workers so it's like 68% of those asked believe that the use of robots are essential for competitiveness, and 74 said they will become increasingly important. But that's asking workers rather than experts in automation, and I wouldn't hold my breath about this. 
Ah, that, that, that's, that's wise, wise words. And again, I mean, most of us, let's face it, aren't perhaps even, even uh, uh, we haven't got sort of qualifications to know what can be automated or not. Um, but is, is it actually desirable for more of this work to be automated? I mean, there, there seem to be two views. One is we're just taking away a lot of work which can be done by people who perhaps wouldn't be able to, to find alternative employment. Uh, but the other side, taking away really dull, repetitive, monotonous, very unrewarding work from human beings, leaving them free to spend their time doing other things would be a good thing and, and, and it's difficult to get the balance on this well i mean dealing with hazardous materials that are dangerous to us absolutely and taking away work from people who can't do other things is not necessarily a good thing i mean it's it's not a good thing at all in fact because what are those people then going to do but in this case we're talking about filling a, a skills gap um but you know, we're, we're quite a long way to go. I mean, companies like Okada, for instance, have massive robots in their factory moving, moving groceries around. Yeah. But you still need humans to pick up the groceries because we, robots are really useless at that kind of thing, with being gently picking up vegetables or fruit. So we're, you know, come back in 20 years' time and we'll talk about this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But again, in, in the past, all these predictions, you know, that we have these mass unemployment because of automation and actually it just people, you know, most of, I mean, most of the jobs in, in 20 years' time are going to be jobs which, you know, people like me, you may well have been an expert in this field, have thought about and thought will exist. But most of us haven't even conceived of existing, just as lots of the jobs that people do today. I mean, you know, the uh, some of these jobs like, like the Uber driver or, or, yeah. or, or some of the jobs. Well, they no one could have conceived these existing in the 1950s. No, quite. And, and when we got computers uh, coming up, you know, there was this massive wave of computing coming along in the 1980s and everybody terrified they were going to lose their jobs. And a lot of people lost their jobs. And my cousin was a printer and, you know, they get rid of print and replaced it with computers. And now he has a very good job in the IT industry. Yeah. So there is that possibility. But at the moment, we need, I mean, you need skilled people to actually work the automation as well tend it, maintain it, and those kinds of things. But we're not ready for that. We need proper training. We'll need re-education. We'll need all those things. And the hope is that there will still be work for people yeah. I mean, into the, certainly for the next, I would thought, for the next 50 years at least. Uh, Professor Noel Shockey, lovely to speak to you, sir. Emeritus Professor of Artificial Intelligence. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.